Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. This is the other side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. I am someone that loves an appropriate usage of the word whom. I am someone who frequently, though, makes the mistake of using effect when I really mean to be using effect. I don't think I'm alone here. And that's why people like Ellen Jovin exist, uh, to help people like me, because not only does she know the rules, she has an enthusiasm for the rules. Now, who's Ellen Jovin? Ellen Jovin is an internationally acclaimed language and grammar expert whose latest book is Rebel with a Clause, Tales and Tips from a Roving Grammarian. She's our very own grammarian angel, and uh, I have been enjoying this book for the last few days. It is not only incredibly useful, incredibly helpful, and helps you memorize a lot of these rules which you probably forgot about in elementary school, but it's actually very entertaining, uh, especially at parts as well. Ellen Jovin, thanks so much for joining me on the radio. Thank you, Frank. This is a lot of pressure to be called an angel. I'm going to be on my best behavior now. <laughs> well, you know, it's after midnight. You don't have to be too good. Trust me. Believe me, I'm not. <laughs> uh, Ellen, so you write in your introduction when you're describing the the grammar table, which I'm going to ask you about in a minute, you actually say the words, I love grammar. Now, to me, grammar has always been something that you have to deal with. It's a necessary evil. It's something that you suffer through in order not to get a failing grade in the uh, in middle school. How did you come to actually love grammar? I don't remember a time in my life when I didn't love words. And I think maybe I need to answer that question by considering what, for me, grammar is. It's not just a series of commandments that you break or you don't. It's, you know, you get in trouble if you break them. It's not like that. It's more about understanding the the fabric and the structure of the language that we use every day. I mean, you're using language on this show and you seem to get, I've been listening to, you seem to get a real kick out of it and enjoy the way, you know, enjoy wielding words. So that to me is grammar the the art that comes out of the words that we use. All right. So a lot of this deals with, and I know you've been so associated with something called the grammar table. Fill folks in. What's the grammar table? Well, in the summer of 2018, I was getting sick of being on my computer so much because a lot of my, I write a lot and a lot of my work is on the computer. I belonged to all these online language nerd groups and they were, I found that I was just looking at a screen too many, too many hours a day. And I thought, well, I could do something very similar to what I'm doing online, but in the street. And I live in, I live in Manhattan. So there's a lot of foot traffic. So I just ordered a table and drew a sign 
that said grammar table and literally went outside my building. Uh, I live near a subway, uh, an express subway stop and just started answering people's grammar questions. <laughs> I love it. Uh, what? And Maybe this is a little bit of an unfair question. It's kind of like asking, what's your favorite movie or who's the most interesting guest you've ever had on the radio? But what was the most common grammar question that you got at the grammar table? Oh, well, there's a clear winner for that. I have no trouble answering that question. The most common by far, probably many multiples of the second most popular question is what I think about the Oxford comma. (laughs) So uh, remind folks, what is the Oxford comma? Is that what my fourth grade teacher used to call the optional comma, which goes, which you can either use or not use right around the word end or or? That sounds like the same thing. Yeah. So when you have a list, it's just, it's specifically before that conjunction, the and or the or at the end of a of a list, whether you put it or not, is a big um, is is of great interest to many Americans. I'm actually really impressed, by the way, that your teacher included or in that in that um, category because often people forget about it, but or is often used in lists. So what hardly is, anyone ever mentions that to me. Well, no, Mr. Zinn was on his uh, A game. He knew about his Oxford comma. <laughs> so, so what is the story with the Oxford comma? Are we supposed to use it? Or are we supposed to not use it? Uh, I think we can all do what we want and get along. Um, if we, you know, like in work, if you're working with a team at work, it's probably good if you agree for your formal documents, what you do in them, because consistency is nice. And because people are so fixated on that comma in the United States, I feel like it it just gets disproportionate attention if you're not consistent. But even, let's say, even if you are, if you decide, your team decides not to use it, what I think people screw up on is not putting it in when it's necessary for clarity. And sometimes it is like you can't really mm. tell where the end of the second to last item is. And so I think people are a little too obsessed with consistency at the expense of clarity. You actually refer to the Oxford comma as a national obsession. <laughs> is, it, is that yeah. an exaggeration at all? Or is it really? I would never exaggerate about grammar. Um, no, I really don't think so because almost every time I go out, I'm asked about it. I mean, that's, you know, that's a lot of times I've been asked about it, hundreds and hundreds, probably thousands of times by now. You recount a, a story where you're interacting with some other people. I think it was on Halloween in which you all share your, um, your love of grammar and how uh, one person that you encountered says that they, they'd like to get better at it. And I'd like to understand grammar more, as Susan, who you write about, said as well. Um, how does one begin the process without going, signing up for a remedial English course, except, of course, you know, except, of course, by uh, buying your book? How do you begin the process of improving your grammar and making sure you're doing the right thing? Well, I, I one thing that always concerns me when I hear about the right thing, I think there are a lot of a lot of um, ideas floating around on, you know, on the Internet and other places in conversations about what's right and what's wrong. And there's a lot more language variety than a lot of people think there is. So, I, um, you know, I occasionally I'll do something and, and uh, on in, I'll tweet something and people say, oh, you're not allowed to do that, blah, blah, blah. But you are. And so I think I would be more interested. Yes, of course, I would love if people read my book. That would be great. And I'm and it's meant to make grammar fun. But I think the best way to be better at language generally, the way you use it, the creativity, the range of expression 
is to read a lot. And when I say read a lot to read good stuff, not, you know, not <laughs> perfectly mm. not lousy writing, but good stuff where people maybe um, writers get you to think about new ways to use language that you haven't been haven't been doing so far. That also could apply to speech. I mean, if you listen to people who are good speakers, that can be inspiring about how you how you express yourself orally. So you uh, weave together a lot of stories and a lot of tips. And if people are just tuning in, by the way, we're talking with Ellen uh, Joven. She is an internationally acclaimed grammar expert. Her latest book is Rebel with a Clause, Tales and Tips from a Roving Grammarian. Um, if someone were to, you know, if you were to um, share a language tip that's unconventional but incredibly effective, something rebels with a clause might embrace. What would you suggest? <laughs> okay, wait, what are my criteria? Something Unconventional, that's... but effective. A language tip that oh, is a man. little offbeat, but that's, that gets the job done. That's effective. I don't know. At 1.40 a.m., I don't know if I'm going to be able to fulfill both of those categories but may i point out something that you did earlier that oh people okay. sometimes jump sure. sometimes jump on me about no so it's not a criticism you started out saying something like this is a very important principle to me frank i really want to make this point because it really is is dear to my heart you said something like i'm someone that wants to i don't know know more about grammar or needs to something like that when i do that you so you use someone with you used that right after someone. Right, I should have been yes, who? It was a person that used that. So a lot of people think you can't do that. Oh, but you really can, and it's not. They think it's you know, that using that with a human is objectifying, but it's you can find it throughout literature, and this is why for me it's really important. Literature comes first, and the grammar, my understanding of language, comes out of art. It doesn't come out of. Uh, a list of annoying rules that limit how I express myself. So I am pointing this out to say that that is fine. I bet you oh. have listeners who would object to I, it. I, I'm sure I got five I, emails I am complaining here, already. That's great. I, I am here. I am here to have your back about it. I, and I really believe in that point. I may even put a chapter about that. Not that specific specific example. Well, maybe you have maybe absolutely my permission. Example. We'll get you a, okay in my no next problem. book. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, the title of your book it does suggest a certain rebellious spirit when it comes to grammar. Can you elaborate on this and, and explain why being a grammar rebel can be a positive thing? <laughs> well, I think that ties in with the themes I've been bringing up. Mm -hmm. um, but I uh, let's see. Yeah, people play with language. They break they break language traditions all the time to, to have an effect. I mean, that's a lot with slang. We're using words in new and innovative ways. Um, so there's not a, there's not like an, an, a single correct way to do things. Now there are things that are better than other things. I mean, we've all read terrible writing that has all kinds of clarity problems. You can't figure out what's going on. And it, I, it's, it's definitely our responsibility as writers and as communicators, if we want to have an effect to be as clear as we possibly can. A lot of that does come from grammar, how you arrange the words and how they relate to each other and whether they relate to, to one another clearly. Um, and now I've totally lost my point. Um, what was my point? Can you steer me back to my <laughs> well, point, Well, I was just asking about why a uh, being a grammar oh, rebel, rebel can be positive. The rebel thing. Yeah, I mean, I think 
<sighs> I have occasionally had a complaint or two here and there that I'm not rebellious enough, you know? I mean, but I think, I think compared to how <laughs> I, I feel like I'm doing, I'm doing my job. Okay. That way I'm not worried about it, but I think um, there are people who really are constrained by the set of rules that they remember or think they remember. That's another thing that's kind of funny about this. People sometimes misremember what they learned when they were, were 10. Our memories are not perfect. So they remember this list of things and then they feel oppressed by them for the rest of their lives. You know, like you can't end a sentence with a preposition. So that I say, free yourself of that and you will feel, be able to express yourself more naturally. I wouldn't say that's the book I was telling you about. I mean, I would say mm. that's the book I was telling you about. I wouldn't say that is the book about which I was telling you. Shipping can make or break a sale. So optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. <laughs> 11 years ago, I read a book and I interviewed the author. He, he passed away. I don't know if you've read it, but it was called Yes, I Could Care Less, How to Be a Language Snob Without Being a Jerk. And it was by a fellow named Bill Walsh, who was a veteran copywriter. And he goes through all these ways to try to correct people's grammar without being a jerk, just like the title says. I'm curious where you come down on the etiquette of correcting someone's grammar or word usage. If you're in conversation with someone, whether it's a, a, a friend, a, a boyfriend, a, a girlfriend, a, a husband, um, a parent, do you correct them if they're saying something that is grammatically incorrect? No, I don't. I mean, I might. No, no, I don't. Um, and by the way, Bill Walsh is one of the the great editors. I really regret never having had a chance to meet. I love his whole way of being. I love his the, his philosophy of language, and um, so I'm very happy that you. What great taste you have to have interviewed him. He he's really he's he struck me strikes me as a really special person, and I know a lot of people now who miss him, um, who knew him, and miss him a great deal. Um, but yeah, no, I don't think, first of all, it's really rude. You know, mm -hmm. you're in a social right. situation. You just suddenly start telling someone they're wrong. But you know what's weird also about that? So many of the people who think it's their uh, their duty um, to tell people what's correct and what's incorrect, they're often wrong. Mm. They often correct people incorrectly. They have a, it's, they're relying on their memory of rules or, um, which is imperfect, or maybe they just have formed language opinions that aren't accurate. And so, so, so I give find me an that, example. I'm sorry to interrupt. Okay. But give me an example of no. uh, some a common correction that's actually an incorrection. Well, the the that thing, the the very restrictive uh -huh. notion of what that can do would be an example. You see it with who and whom. Sometimes people will use whom, where it's really mm. a who. Um, that's kind of 
And that's kind of annoying. I don't know if people are snobby about that one. Let's see. What else do they do? Oh, well, something like farther and further, Mm. which have been used further has been used for distance for for forever you know so so the, the distinction that people tell you oh you have to use farther for distance and further for something that's more ethereal or metaphorical you know i need to study that matter matter further that distinction really doesn't coincide with what language use has been historically hmm. um so yeah I mean, you could distinguish, but it's not like people get mad about it. They get really angry. It's not something to be mad about. I actually like further for distance. It just feels, it seems easier to pronounce. So it seems like based on what you're saying with that further and farther, that they're almost interchangeable. They are. You don't, you don't, you don't hear people, you, you hear people use further in cases where, Often you're advised to use farther. You don't see the reverse, though. Like you don't hear people say, I need to study that matter farther, you know, so it's a one way, a one way interaction. But I mean, think about it. It's just this little vowel sound. We decide what words mean. It's not it's not handed to us on a stone tablet by divinities. Well, so I, I love that you so said funny that. to me. I, I love that you said that because um, I, I always try to kind of create new words, right, and get them popularized for words that don't yet for for descriptions that don't have a meaning yet. But um, for instance, <laughs> I am trying to get the ball rolling on the popularization of the word irregardless, a portmanteau of the words irrespective and regardless. But I am fighting a losing battle here. I'm, I'm Sisyphus pu- pushing this rock up the hill and I'm not having any luck. Is there anything you could do for me on irregardless? <laughs> well, that word really has been, irregardless has been used for a long time. Centur- there, It goes back centuries, I think. So I, I, I'm not a huge fan of it. I don't use it, but I, I, it certainly has has um you have antecedents you have you have noble antecedents in using it and i can't get excited about it you know what you should have whenever you have to list hobbies anywhere i don't know if this comes up for you but you should put there neologizing since you like to invent new words do you know that that one is if your listeners don't know that word neologism is a new coinage but i like to i i kind of make jokes about neologizing that's the verb. I like that. I, I will just think it's fun. I will. I will use that one. That's a good one. Um, in, in, in seriously though, in the with the rise of digital communication that we've seen, how do you think technology has impacted language use, and and what challenges or even what opportunities does that present for uh, effective communication? It does often move things along faster. I'm not an expert on some of the some of the specifics of that, but I can give you an example from my own life. Do you remember back in the day when email used to be a hyphenated word? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, so, but it closed up eventually in most places, there are mm-hmm. still publications that will put the hyphen in, but for the most part, it's, it's been dehyphenated and closed. I had to do, I had to close it before I was ready because mm. I teach email etiquette classes. And so um, when people were searching online for email email classes, they were taking out the hyphens and it was dinging me in the search results. You know what I mean? So I had to get with the program and pull it out. Um, And I was a little bit troubled by that. I know that sounds weird now, but this was a lot, this was 20 years ago, maybe. So, so I was still in the editorial world. Almost everyone was still hyphenating it. And I just found that interesting. So I was, I was pressured 
I was pressured by search. I, I like engines. that. You also have a uh, an inst- interesting chapter that has to do with uh, you being a sentimental speller. I like to think I'm a, a sentimental speller from time to time. I'll include the the um, you in labor. I'll, I'll include an H in whiskey from time to time. What are you sentimental about spelling? I have well I think most of the most of the sentiment for me is is nostalgia about the experience of learning spelling because it was such a a rich tactile um thing for me in school we had to do these lists where we would co- we would get a new word list every week which I assume is pretty common in a lot of schools but we would have to copy each word over maybe it was 15 words each word over 3 times day after day until, you know, till the end of the week, then we get a quiz on it. But there's something about that. I felt it was almost like a communion with the words. And I got really fascinated with how dark I would write or light or how, you know, how big my, like I really experimented with my handwriting. And I felt just the the writing, you know, writing by hand as opposed to a computer, that for me, it, gave, it, it feels like it gave me a, a feeling hmm. for the word. I like and I that. still connect to that emotionally. When you send an SMS text message, do you follow the same rules of grammar that you do if you are sending an email, if you're sending a personal letter? Where does texting fall into the grammar equation, at least in your world? Well, I don't use texting for work things usually, but my texts are, and I hope this won't disillusion anyone, my texts are catastrophes. They're, really? They're, no, forget Forget the punctuation, the capitalization. No, because I'm sending so many and I just, I just, I I just, I don't know. There's something freeing about it with, with someone who's a friend. If I'm texting a friend and maybe they're a writer where they, I find a lot of writers aren't that careful with their texts. They're clear. It's not that they're unclear, but they don't worry that much about Mm. convention. Although I have to say, probably the majority of my peers, um, people my age um, who grew up before the age of ubiquitous um, personal computers and definitely before phones, I think a lot of them do write in complete sentences Hmm. with punctuation. All right. uh, Ellen Joven, we're going to have to end it there. I want to encourage folks to check out your book, Rebel with a Clause, Tales uh, Tales and Tips from a Roving Grammarian. I hope we can talk again. Thank you. I would love that. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you. If you have uh, a comment based on any portion of our conversation, you're welcome to give me a call, 800-848-9222. And you're welcome to use further instead of farther or vice versa. Straight ahead.